0: Jonah was a man on the run from God's presence and God's plan. And maybe you have found yourself on that same trajectory. But the good news is, the children of God will never outrun the mercy of God. As we explore the Old Testament book of Jonah together, we will be reminded that salvation belongs to the Lord, and we will rejoice in the relentless mercy of God. This content is provided by Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church.
1: When I was coming up,
0: uh, and my wife has this memory too, uh, later on, my dad does children's ministry with an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship. Every year they would host a camp, a day camp, where they would bust the kids in during the morning and and bust them out in the evening. Uh, But it was like a Christian camp locally. And one of the songs that we would always sing, uh, it, I won't sing it, but I'll do the motions so you can, maybe if you're at church camp, you uh, ever, you'll remember that. waves of mercy, waves of grace. There we go. Everywhere I look, I see your face. Your love has captured me. I don't know if you made an O. Oh, my God. There we go. This love, how can it be? And then we'd all jump around. No, 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 na, 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 Now, that song... Uh, was catchy and, and it does tell the truth, but, but it doesn't give the full picture of God's mercy. It, now, I'm not saying the song's bad, it's a great song. Because that part of God's mercy should be celebrated, the part of it where it's happy and gentle and loving and soft and, and worth rejoicing about. The reality is that God's mercy is always good, but it's not always gentle. Just ask Jonah and his shipmates. right? Sometimes mercy rocks the boat. Sometimes mercy threatens to break the boat in half. I don't know if you know the Beaufort scale. That's what storms are measured by in nautical terms. Sometimes God's mercy is a 12 on the Beaufort scale. Sometimes the ocean turns white with the waves that... God sins. That's what Jonah experienced. So, yes, sometimes God calms the storm. He does. We can testify to that around this room of times where God has calmed the storm, but but sometimes, right, and that's mercy when He does, but sometimes God causes the storm. And that can be mercy too. So, get this today's main point is that the relentless mercy of God might cause or calm the storm but it is always working for the good of his children and the joy of all people today we take on the rest of Jonah chapter one I'll finish it out and we're going to see the mercy of God come in like a full force gale to quote that great theologian Van Morrison uh, Jonah could have wrote that song too the difference would be that Van Morrison when he sings about that full force gale he's talking about a gentle, breeze in an evening under a shade tree, and in that moment, his world is rocked by the Lord. He is lifted up by the Lord. Now that happens if you've had those experiences with the Lord that are still and quiet and calm. But Jonah could have wrote the song too, except that with his full-force gale, he been talking about a literal full-force gale. And it's going to throw him down a little bit before it lifts him up, But ultimately, Jonah will be lifted up by the Lord. So the reality remains, whether, whether God is calming the storm or causing the storm in his relentless mercy, he's always working on behalf of the good of his children and the joy of all peoples. Father, what we know not today, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. By your relentless mercy. Amen. Last week we left off with three words. But the Lord. Start verse 4. And in the midst of Jonah running. Right? We talked about how he was running from the presence of the Lord. Running from the will of the Lord. He went. And the call last week was stop running. The presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. The presence of God is is everything that our hearts truly long for. Although we might be too blind to see it sometimes, and that might send us running, the call last week was stop running, but what about when we don't? What about when we don't stop running? Can we outrun the relentless mercy of God? Jonah shows us the answer. Praise Jesus. We can't. We cannot outrun the relentless mercy of God. If you like an outline, here it is. This is what we'll see today in the the rest of Jonah chapter 1. In verses 4 through 6, we'll see the mighty tempest of God comes in and rocks the world of Jonah and his shipmates. In verses 7 through 10, we see the the mighty God of the tempest, and that's the good news. And then the news gets even better because in 11 through 16, we'll see salvation on the sea, and then, spoiler alert, good news for Jonah. Salvation under the sea, literally. It comes to him there. As Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord, mercy comes. Now, let's start here. Have you ever been there, running from the presence of the Lord? Maybe not as dramatically as Jonah, or as defiantly as Jonah, Jonah. Maybe you don't even feel like you're running away, but you're just kind of bored with the presence of the Lord. It's not as relevant to you as it used to be. It's not something that you long for anymore. You're just kind of swatting it away as less relevant. What you're finding on your phone is more relevant. What you're finding on the TV is more relevant. What you're finding in the relationships with people around you. It's more relevant. Now, that's not to say there aren't relevant things in all of those places. We often will put those things before God. I will. I'll seek the presence of those things over the presence of God. And in that way, we're like Jonah. I know look is dramatic. I know look is defiant. But if we're honest today, we've been there. At least not desiring the presence of the Lord. Well, good news, because as Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord, we get verse 4. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. God will always come after his children. Always come after his children. That's good news from the start, that, uh, that he will always come after them. Sally Lloyd-Jones, in her Jesus Storybook Bible, which we read often with our kids, she has this line that she comes back to time and time and time again. That God will always love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love, and she gets it right. it's true. of our God, and so often, that love is tender love is kind and patient you've experienced that i've experienced that but sometimes that love comes in with waves that are five stories tall sometimes that mercy comes in with the weight of of a hundred semi-trucks that's Jonah's experience the The Beaufort scale, I know I'm just nerding out here, but its highest measurement, it maxes out at 12. That's what this storm would have been. 50-foot waves. The waves are measured in tons at this point in weight. Hundreds of tons of weight. Comes crashing down on this boat time and time and time again. These were massive white horses. That's what the old sailors would have called them we call them whitecaps. maybe you've heard that said uh you've probably been to the beach and you've seen a place called breakers inn or breakers resort well that's true that's what those waves those waves are breaking but the sailors would have called these not breakers but ship breakers literally they were threatening to break the ship and this is how the mercy of god comes to jonah now watch the response because there's a response a response from the sailors and there's a response from Jonah. As the relentless mercy of God comes crashing in, they both respond a specific way. Look at the sailors first, verse 5. And the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for themselves. Now, they set an example for us here, by the way. They model something for us here. Watch them. Their, the direction of their prayer is, It is not right, we'll learn. It's not to the one true God. But the fact that they understand that they are in a situation that is outside of their control is informative. It's instructional to us. Sometimes in our pride, think we're not in that place where we need help beyond ourselves. These sailors realize it, and in that they teach us. They teach us something. Their response is prayer and proactivity. Again, the direction of their prayers is is not something that we learn from, but the desperation of their prayer we can learn from. And then they get busy, too. They work for what they're praying for, even though it looks impossible. They start getting their hands dirty. They start getting busy, right? They don't just pray about it and then forget about it. They start actively acting in a way that could possibly be an answer to their own prayer. It doesn't seem likely. It seems impossible. That's why they're crying out. They have no thought that if they clear out the boat, it's going to solve everything. But it doesn't keep them from being active. They're still active to pursue what they're praying for. Now, hear me today. We can learn from non-Christians so much. Every good and perfect thing comes down from above, from the, from the Father of lights, right? That's, that's true. It doesn't mean that we learn everything from those sailors. It doesn't mean we start praying to the gods they were praying to, but we can learn from their desperation. It doesn't mean that their proactivity was maybe perfect, but we can learn from the fact that they were proactive. And here's another thing that you got to know, and if this week didn't teach it to you, uh, you might never learn it. Christians can set a bad example. To Non-Christians can set a good example. Christians can set a bad example. Look at Jones. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. If the sailors respond with prayer and proactivity, Jonah responds with pride and apathy. This is going to sound harsh, but I believe it's true. It's convicting to my heart. I'm saying it to myself before I say it to anyone else. The opposite of prayer is pride. The opposite of prayer is pride. When I'm not praying, it's because I think i got it all figured out. It's because I think I can pull it off. It's because I think I can get it done. And Jonah's not praying because Jonah's proud. He doesn't think he needs the presence of God, by the way. He's he's fleeing from it. And his pride gives birth to apathy. He's not sleeping in that boat because of faith. He's sleeping in that boat because of pride. He's apathetic because he doesn't think he needs anyone else. And so he becomes apathetic to the storm. He becomes apathetic to his community around him. He becomes apathetic to the presence of God. His pride brings apathy. The sailors show us prayer and proactivity. Jonah Jonah shows us pride and apathy. Non-Christians can be a good example. Christians can be a bad example. And even more... Sometimes God will use non-Christians to call his people to act righteously. That's what happens in verse 6. It says that the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. He calls him out. He calls him to respond. He, he, is, he is calling him out of his slumber. And unwittingly, we'll see, but all the same, this non-Christian is calling this Christian to act like a Christian. The non-Christian is calling the Christian to act like a Christian. And our is doing the same right now. If you're not listening, listen up. It always has, but... But look around you, there's ever been a time when Christians need to act like Christians. There's ever been a time that we'd be people who pray without ceasing, people who study the word of God fervently, people who love our neighbor, people who as much as lies within us live peaceably with all men, people who lean into the truth and are not blown about by every wind of change people who are nurturing the fruit of the Spirit, you go on and on and on, above all those people who are loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you didn't hear 2020 calling you out to be a Christian who acts like a Christian, if you didn't hear this past week calling you out to be a Christian who acts like a Christian, listen, we're being called to live as Christians in this world And Jonah is being called out in the middle of the relentless mercy of God, the mighty tempest of God coming bearing down on him and his shipmates in brutal waves of mercy. There's good news, though. Because for every mighty tempest of God, there is one eternal and mighty God of the tempest. For every mighty tempest of God, It's the theme music for this line because I want you to really catch it.
1: We planned that out
0: before. That's the Holy Ghost. For every mighty tempest of God, there is one eternal and mighty God of the tempest. And we see him in verses 7 through 10. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lot and the lot fell on Jonah. There we go. Then, verse 8, they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country of what people are you? So they start playing a game of spin the bottle first. And it morphs into 20 questions, right? So they want to find out who it is. And the bottle lands on Jonah. And then they go into 20 questions. Spin the bottle, 20 questions, Mighty Tempest edition, new game. And Jonah is losing the game. And call him out. In verse 9, he responds. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea." And the dry land. Jonah IDs himself. He talks about his ethnicity. And he also talks about himself spiritually. He is a Hebrew. He is of the people of God ethnically. But he also claims that he fears God. Saying I am actually a true believer. It's not just in my blood. It's in my soul. That I follow and belong to Yahweh. The one true God. And then he IDs Yahweh. He IDs the one true God. He says he's the God of heaven. Who made. Right? And he doesn't beat around the bush, because this, this would be a time, if if there was some way to wiggle out from under God making the sea, this would be the time. Because the sea is not anyone's friend right now. Right? So this would be a good time to say, the God who loves people, and he's just incredibly gentle and kind. right? Maybe tell that part of the story, but no, he says he's the God who made the dry land and the ocean He doesn't beat around the bush anymore. He's not trying to be relevant anymore. He's speaking unapologetically. He's not trying to get God off a hook that God has put himself on. So he speaks of who he is and of who God is. He's proclaiming the truth at this point. He should have been doing it before, but all of us should be doing it at times and aren't. But now he is. He's speaking up on behalf of the mighty God of the Tempest. And watch what happens. His fear of God breeds fear of God in others. God's going to use Jonah's fear of God to to cause the fear of God to come upon others. Then the men, verse 10, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So when Jonah gets on the boat, he says, I'm running away from my God. They don't know who that God is yet, but they're learning now who he is. Hear this, I, I think this is so important. Jonah can't proclaim who God is without having to own his own hypocrisy and his own shortcomings here. And, and the truth is, if we're going to share the truth of the gospel with anyone, we have to do the same. We have to own our hypocrisy. We have to own our own sin, our own desperate need for the gospel. The sooner you get over that, the the, the sooner I get over that, the more ready we'll be to share the gospel with others. We don't think we've got to have it all together and all perfect and all made up, all nice and pretty. So, he begins to speak, and in doing so he reveals his his hypocrisy and sin. but, But we must proclaim the truth that the mighty God of the tempest is the one true God of all creation even when that truth is hard to swallow, even when that means that the the waves that are breaking up that ship came from the God that you claim to follow. That's difficult to proclaim. But don't water it down. We serve a sovereign God. A God who calms storms and sometimes causes storms. But hear me today, there is nothing outside of his power. Does he cause every bad thing that happens that we would judge as bad? No. Does he have the power to stop whatever he wants to stop? Yes. Yes, he can. But we have a God who is not surprised by anything. He's not surprised by any hurricane. He's not surprised by any tsunami or tornado. He's not surprised by any thief or murderer or molester. He's not surprised by any president or warlord. He's not shocked. Nothing. Can overpower him. Nothing can outsmart him. And it isn't always easy to take ownership of. When the world's falling apart around us, why doesn't he act? Why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he stop this? If you want me to answer that question? You need to find a smarter pastor. But what I do know is this He is always working on behalf of His children. So you may spend your whole life blind, like like Bartimaeus, so that on that road, when Jesus heals you, God gets all the glory. I can't explain why he had to spend his whole life blind. It doesn't seem fair to me. But God sets the standard of faith. God sets the standard of good. God sets the standard of loving. It's hard. Don't don't apologize for it. Don't try to explain away God's sovereign power and strength. He will take the greatest tragedies, the greatest suffering, the greatest sorrow, the greatest problems, and he will turn them into redemption and renewal for his children. That's good news for us today. That's the God we serve. That's the mighty God of this this tempest. And so these brutal waves of mercy sent by our relentless God of mercy will not be wasted. They will accomplish God's purposes for the joy of His kids and the glory of His name. I didn't mean to stop here. I'm going to stop here. Not stop, stop. I'm going to talk about something I didn't write. Not a single... Second of your suffering will be wasted by your God. Not a single ounce of your pain will be wasted by your God. That's hard to say up here looking at your stories, many of which I know. I've had windows into the level of the pain. I've had windows into the levels of suffering. God is working for himself a peculiar glory and for you an infinite joy, and he won't waste it. He won't waste these waves either. Watch what happens. Watch as he brings salvation on the sea. Then they said to him, to Jonah, what shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. They knew who he was, they knew he belonged to, they, they are now being introduced to who the one true God is, and so they say, how do we respond? And Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So he's taking ownership of his sin now, he's taking ownership of his fleeing from the presence of God, and that's the proper thing to do. He's not passing the blame anymore. He's not making excuses. He's taking ownership. But the sailors don't want his blood on their hands. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. God came for Jonah in his relentless mercy, and God will have Jonah in his relentless mercy. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. The Lord. That's Yahweh, by the way. Hear me. This is beautiful to me. God is saving these sailors. In the middle of this storm, in the middle of the vast Mediterranean Sea, God is saving these men. They're not praying to a God. They're not praying to some God. They are not praying to their gods anymore. Quite frankly, they're praying to Yahweh, the one true God. They say, O Lord, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're recognizing things about this God. He's sovereign over this storm. They're seeing that now. He's done what pleased him. And they're also acknowledging that he's sovereign over their lives. Why else would they repent to him? Why else would they take ownership of what they're about to do to Jonah? Why else would they beg for mercy? God saved them. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. God came for Jonah, God got Jonah, but also know this. The God who caused the storm is the same God who calms the storm he does. Watch what happens next. This just wrecked me all week. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God just saved these guys. God saved them. Hear me, this, this isn't a giveaway. Most of us know the narrative of this story. But Jonah, God came to him and said, I want you to go east. And I'm going to save some people in the east. And Jonah said, no, I don't want you to save those people. I'm going to go west. And God said, no. I'm still going to save those people in the east. Don't worry. It's still going to happen. But by the way, while you're going the opposite direction, while you're going west, I'm going to save some people there, too. Even when you're fleeing from the presence of God, you're still part of his plan. Even when you're fleeing from the presence of God, you're still a part of his plan. These men fear God exceedingly. That means above everything else. He becomes number one for them, and they make vows and promises to him. They give him their very lives in that moment. Even while you're running from God, you're still part of his plan. Back in October 2009, I was running from God. It didn't look like it. I was going through all the motions. you would have looked at me and said, as a good Christian. That is a good Christian boy. That's a good Christian man." But if I'm honest, I knew God was calling me into ministry at that time, and, and I said, "No, I was running—not you know? as dramatically, not as defiantly, but still running." Half-measured obedience would have marked my life. We shoot a wedding, my bride and myself, for a bride I barely knew at the time, back in October 2009. And that bride was running from God too. We both were. She was agnostic. She didn't believe in God, or barely believed that there was a God. And God didn't save her then, but what happened where our paths intersected in October of 2009, as both of us were running from God. Fast forward two and a half years, God starts calling me, and my wife, in the earliest to plant Mercy Village Church. And I find myself pulled off to the side of the road on Howard Boulevard Boulevard, on my way into Huntington, weeping, telling God I'm done with half-measures. They give all of me, every part. About two months after that day, I kid you not, that bride from 2009 is sitting in my living room talking about Jesus. And three days later, he got saved. If you picked up a kid's packet for your kids today you have the relentless mercy of God to thank for that. God called to us about the same time. His relentless mercy overcame us within two months of each other for my friend Brittany for her redemption for me, it was for my renewal. I need a revival in my heart. I need it brought back to what I already believed. She needed brought to it for the very first time to believe. But the redemption and the renewal of God's relentless mercy was just that for both of us, mercy. And for Jonah and his shipmates, it's the same. Mercy. Even while Jonah is running from God, he is not Outside of God's plan. And God uses him to save those men. Right? Every tribe and tongue and nation. That's the covenant to Abraham. Through you every nation will be blessed. He fulfills the promise. Part of it. On that boat. Save those men. So that's salvation on the sea. We close with salvation under the sea. You're not done with Jonah. Final verse. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed... A great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Find out more about that fish next week, but know this it felt like death for Jonah. But it was actually a salvage. God appointed a fish, and God came to the rescue. He appointed that fish, right? Like, Like that fish had swallowed Jonah programmed into his eye calendar. And the GPS coordinates too. And he got there right on time. This isn't Beach Fork, right? You ever been to the marina where all those ugly, nasty fish like sit there and you could throw the bread in there and you can't miss, you could have missed. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is one single person, one single fish. And when Jonah is sinking, that fish is there. God sent that fish. God appointed the rescue for Jonah. He comes to the rescue. God appointed the fish. God came to the rescue. No matter how bad your storm is right now. No matter how bad your guilt is right now. No matter how bad your circumstances are right now. And whether you got there because of your own sin. Or because of the sin of someone else. Or maybe that's just where God's brought you even in obedience to him. Care. I, I, I don't care how bad your storm is. I know this. God's mercy for you is perfect in its time. And nothing is wasted. Hear this. When God sovereignly wrote the storm into your story, he wrote in your rescue as well. And you can bang Some of you all experience that. Some of you will experience that. But how sweet it is to be loved by a God of relentless mercy. Even in the mighty tempest, the mighty God of the tempest is working in his relentless mercy on behalf of his children. Redeeming and renewing with sovereign precision. Wasting nothing. No drop of water is wasted. No puff of wind, no flap of a fish's fin is wasted in Jonah's store. And nothing from your yesterday and nothing from your today and nothing from your tomorrow will be wasted in God's plan of relentless mercy for you. You can bank on that. And you can bank on it because of Jesus. Remember, Jonah, asleep in the boat, Jesus... The better general, he'll sleep in a ship too. But he doesn't sleep in the ship because of apathy. He sleeps because of faith. And when he rises from slumber, he doesn't rise with inactivity. He rises with proactivity, and he says, peace, be still, and he calms the storm. Because Jesus didn't just know the God, the mighty God of the tempest. He is the mighty God tempest Jesus is the better Jonah remember Jonah they had to drag it out of him who he was that he was a follower of God Jesus comes proclaiming the king and they want him to shut up so bad that they kill him and not even that works. speaking of which remember Jonah right he's offered as a sacrifice do you see that he's, he's thrown into the sea and the wrath of God is calmed against Jonah but not forever The wrath of God still remains, and not only could Jonah not save, uh, not only could Jonah's sacrifice not redeem him from all of his sins, it, it by no means could save the entire world But Jesus, who like Jonah was willing to be sacrificed, will do what Jonah couldn't. His sacrifice, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Jesus' sacrifice is better because it can save the entire world. You remember Jonah descending to his death and he will be in that fish for three days and three nights. You know where I'm going, Jesus, the better Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah won't really die. Jesus will. Just like Jonah, he'll be three days and three nights dead in the ground and then literally be raised from the dead. Brought out, right? That fish has to spit Jonah out. Jesus doesn't need any help. He walks out on his own path, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And so, trust Jesus today if you're not a Christian. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is enough To make you right with God. His sacrifice on behalf of sinners like you and sinners like me is enough to make you right with God. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What that means is that if you believe that when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, that was enough to make you right with God. If you believe that, if you just have faith enough to believe that, you'll be saved. God's relentless mercy. My prayer is that it's caught up to you today if it hasn't before. And then last, children of God, two things in light of this truth that we just saw play out in Jonah's life. The relentless mercy of God, that causes storms, it calms storms, but it's always working for the good of his children and the joy of all peoples. How do we respond to that? As we Two things. And I, and I want us to work it into this first things first commitment that a lot of us have made. To start our day every day with scripture and prayer. Before we do anything else, scripture and prayer. Two ways. One, bask in the extraordinary, sovereign, and relentless mercy of God through scripture. Right? I don't know if you've already picked out what you're reading, but you'll find it everywhere in the Bible. If you already got a reading plan. Maybe you intentionally pick a scripture verse that will remind you of the relentless mercy of God. I suggest Romans 5, 6 through 8 if you're you're scrambling to find one. Maybe you memorize that. Maybe you uh, have that on a post-it note beside your bed and that's the scripture that you start with. Or something like that that's going to remind you of the relentless mercy of God so we're basking in it. His mercies are made new every morning. And then two... we would pray, when we pray for a move of God, we would pray in two ways. Redemption and renewal. It's in our mission statement. But that it would be the relentless mercy of God that brings that redemption and that renewal into the life. so we're praying for people ourselves, personally. We're praying for those close to us. Two to ten people is how we said it, of the closest people to you. So you're praying personally, you're praying for your people, and then you're praying for this plant this church plant Pray that those who are lost among those who you're praying for will be saved by the relentless mercy of God. Pray they'll be redeemed. And pray for yourself and for those on your list who are already Christians that we will be captured again and again by the mercy of God. God's mercies are made new every morning and the response is great is thy faithfulness. Might we be people marked by that response that we're seeing the mercy of god so clearly so consistently that we live lives that truly proclaim great is thy faithfulness relentless mercy of god may cause or calm the storm but it is always working for the good of his children and the joy of all people so let's pray god thank you so much you saw fit in your relentless mercy to hunt me down. May that reality for all of us in here who call you God and call your son Savior, may that reality never escape us. That your mercy came after us and that the finished work of your son on the cross was all that was required to bring us into relationship with you, and that's mercy. But the mercy didn't stop there. It's new every single morning. And so may we bask in it, and may we keep asking you to reveal it to us and make it clear in us and in those who are among the least, the last, and the lost. In the name of Christ, we pray. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.